Hey everybody, it's Emily here with Healthy Discourse. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Dr. Wiggy today, and we are going to talk about early intervention and treatment and early treatment for COVID-19. This is a hot topic these days because much of conventional medicine is saying that there is no early intervention, there is no prevention, and the only way that we can tackle COVID is vaccination. And when you go to the hospital or wherever you go and you get your COVID test and it's positive, they send you home and say, well, drink lots of water and there's nothing we can do to help. And we are here to discuss today that perhaps that's not so such great advice. And maybe there are things Mm -hmm. that we can be doing both for early intervention and even prevention when you've been exposed. And Wiggy just said some crazy medical term a minute ago before we started. And this is why I interview him versus the other way around most of the time, because y'all are glad that we're not using his terms today. I was like, I don't know what that means. But anyway, welcome to the show, Wiggy. And let's talk about this. So um, how would you respond to the conclusion that there is no early intervention, when someone tests positive, they're pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic, that there is nothing that can be done to help prevent or minimize symptoms. Well, I think it might be important for us to help define the terms here a little bit, and maybe I'll, I'll help explain the, uh, the term that I was using with Emily a second ago, because there's really kind of three categories that we should be looking at uh, the prevention and treatment of COVID. There should be prevention, Then there should be uh, what's called post-exposure prophylaxis, which basically you've been exposed to COVID and want to keep you from getting it or to minimize the severity. And then there is early treatment of the disease. And the truth of the matter is, and this is we've been doing this for the past, you know, 18 months now, is that there is benefit uh, for each of those stages, prevention, post-exposure prophylaxis, and then early treatment. Uh, I think it's probably most important to focus on the the kind of preventive side mm-hmm. because if we are improving someone's health and their immune system, oftentimes they will do uh, much better. But then uh, we are seeing that it is also really important to do the post-exposure prophylaxis and then the, the treatment uh, because it does help. And so there are treatments that are available and there are also these treatments that are available this is not new anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there are lots of studies on all of those different factors, on prevention, on post-exposure prophylaxis, and on treatment, and they all show benefit. Mm-hmm. So the, if anyone says that there's really no evidence for, uh, for treatment or for prophylaxis, then they just haven't reviewed the literature. They may not agree with the literature, but they can't say that it's not there because it is available. And that's a por- an important distinction. Right. Right. Okay. So let's talk about first. And um, we've been, you know, these are things that people that are kind of in the world of, um, what would you call it? Healthy living. I call us crunchy. I don't really know. It kind of crunchy means lots of things though. Um, We kind of do this all the time, Mm -hmm. right? We're, we're always optimizing our health, our immunity. We do that with our kids. Um, you know, they're taking their vitamins and supplements mm. every day. Of course, our food is a huge important factor of that, that no one wants to talk about around this. But let's talk specifically about prevention and ongoing things that people can be doing to boost their immune system. 
especially those that feel that they might be at increased risk for um, negative outcomes. Right. So there are some easy things to do, and then there are some you know more challenging lifestyle things that you know we should be doing all along. But it's not necessarily uh, the easiest thing to start and jump into right away because you're right. You know the the best defense is uh, is a clean diet, uh, exercise, walking, fresh air, sunlight. You know those are all important things that that we we should all be doing. Uh, and so that is, in a lot of ways, people are starting to uh, to think about that. They're starting to think about what can I be doing better from a lifestyle standpoint. So it is about minimizing processed foods. It's about minim- minimizing these empty carbohydrates and sugars. And again, eating a lot more uh, fruits and vegetables, primarily more vegetables and, you know, clean meats. You know, all those things are, are really important. But that takes... That takes a you know a long time to really get people to to make those changes. You know that's something that we emphasize in the practice mm-hmm. all the time, and it does take you know baby steps uh, mm-hmm. to get there. So there are some simpler things that people can be doing that can add in for prevention purposes. I think that the three most important things, and this is part of our protocol that we have as a prevention uh, protocol for the practice, the three most important things are vitamin C vitamin D and zinc. Those are the those are by far what we what we've studied the, the most and they appear to have the most benefit uh, for prevention. Uh, Dr. Lantel, we, we were actually talking about this yesterday and he's reading a book, uh, I think it's called COVID Defeated, I believe. And uh, the book talks a lot about vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc and they, he actually emphasizes vitamin D and zinc over uh, anything else. Uh, but there are, again, there are studies on this. So uh, there are studies, especially for vitamin D. I think the last time I checked, I believe there's about 14 different studies on using vitamin D for prevention purposes. And I think all of them show benefit. Mm-hmm. And so, again, there's plenty of, of evidence here that, that, it, that it helps. And then the other thing is, again, vitamin D, especially when you take it with vitamin K2, when mm-hmm. you do those two together, and we do recommend taking vitamin D3 with K2, there's that synergy between the two. There's like virtually no risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, super safe, you know. Because K2 funnels that vitamin D into the proper places, right? Uh, no, so vitamin no? D. The, okay, wrong. The only, the only <laughs> risk with vitamin D, especially when higher doses, because we are recommending higher doses mm, for okay, preventive right. purposes. Uh, the only risk with vitamin D is uh, getting too much calcium into the blood. That's called hypercalcemia. Right. And what vitamin K2 does, it protects you from that. Right. So vitamin K2 helps pull the calcium out of the blood the calcium out. and shuttles it into the bones, into the teeth. And so that way it really protects you from any hypercalcemia. So again, in higher doses, you know, vitamin D is also getting extremely safe, especially when taken with, with K2. And so, yeah, vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc, if you take those, those three, that really appears to decrease the risk, uh, not only for uh, a severe disease, uh, but it decreases the duration of the disease. People tend to get over it quicker. And again, the evidence does support that it keeps people out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the percentage? So it's, it's different depending on which study you look at. Okay. So some studies suggest that it keeps uh, about 80% of people mm-hmm. out of the hospital. If you have good vitamin D levels compared to those that have low vitamin D levels, pretty stark difference. Mm-hmm. And then some just show a mild, mild improvement, uh, like 15 to 20%. Okay. So it's probably somewhere in between that. Uh, but I said, but for one simple step and exactly. taking one, well, I, I, we take the vitamin D and K2 in the same tablet or the same capsule on a daily basis. That's a very simple, easy thing that is a huge 
change right. in your risk factors. That's what I'm saying. This is easy to, to do. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a you know huge step of a lifestyle change that anybody can, can be doing. Right. And it's but it's also not a a substitute for lifestyle change, sure. right? So a lot of people are like, Oh, I'll just take my supplements and mm -hmm. I can eat keep eating, you know, whatever. And I mean I know and I've heard this from people that are working in the ICUs and various levels that I mean, the truth is people don't want to talk about this, mm. but it's important that we tell the truth on our podcast. Most people that are in the hospital, especially right now, are significantly overweight. Yeah, I've had about 15 people tell me that that are working in hospitals every day. They have, they have higher BMIs than even the first wave, it seems like. That seems to be the one thing that right. is the commonality at this point. And so... Are we shaming? Absolutely not. But if you've not had the incentive to take control of that in the past, this is a really good time to start really prioritizing just making some of those swaps that, that Wiggy was talking about. So. Yeah, that's a good point. And another interesting thing that we've seen in the practice, which uh, I think again emphasizes the, the importance of the lifestyle piece, is that even uh, patients that are overweight, mm -hmm. if they are making the, the lifestyle changes, starting mm -hmm. to eat better, mm -hmm. even if their their weight really hasn't changed much, mm -hmm. but they're eating cleaner, they're eating getting lots more, lots more vegetables, uh, they actually tend to still do better, it appears. Yeah. So you don't have to necessarily be in a, at an ideal weight. Sure. You just have to be actually eating better. And that appears to be a pretty strong correlation mm -hmm. for people that are eating well and the severity of the disease that they get. Well, and I think that's something that we just talk about in you know our weight loss program that my friend Jane, that you guys have heard of, of many times before, You know that's what we always emphasize is the weight loss is a side effect. Right. It's a positive side effect right. of the health changes that you're making. And so, um, but I just think it's something people need to be aware of because that's not common knowledge necessarily. Right. So, well, cause it's also, it's really important to talk about it because you know, yes, the, the vast majority of people in the hospital are, uh, are overweight, you know, so, some are not. Uh, but, and I think this would be interesting to, to do a study on this, but I think that I would imagine that the majority are not necessarily eating cleanest diet, even sure. if they're even if they're younger or have mm -hmm. have less health issues. And that's what they say. Well, they were completely healthy and they had no health issues. Mm -hmm. uh, it's tough to really determine someone's health just by looking at them. Right. You know, you really have to do a lot of a lot of testing and get a better idea of what someone's overall health and physiology is. And so, yeah, I, I, and that's also, the other thing is that this this change seems to happen pretty fast. Mm -hmm. So if you start eating better today, mm -hmm. you have a lower risk soon. Right. You know, so if you are scared of this, you know, which rightfully so, a lot of this is a serious disease. But if, if you are scared and you want to be proactive, you start those supplements and start eating clean. And mm -hmm. basically clean eating is just, you know, what did God put on this earth for us to eat? Right. So eat things that God gave us. Right. Eat a lot of vegetables. Eat, you know, uh animals that have been uh, grass-fed or free-range, you know, eat uh, healthy fats, mm -hmm. you know, eat those things that God gave us. And like I said, it, and it makes a difference pretty fast. So mm -hmm. if people are doing that and taking those supplements, again, we've seen where those people generally do really well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Let's talk about the next level of intervention. Mm -hmm. And that would be somebody has been exposed to a, someone with COVID, which is happening I'm sure for all of us on a daily basis right now, but you know for sure mm -hmm. that you've been around someone who has tested positive for COVID. What happens next? So at that point, uh, we do get a little bit more aggressive on the supplementation. So we do uh, bump up the vitamin D, the C, and the zinc. 
uh, well, primarily vitamin D and the C. Uh, and then, uh, and that's again, depending on, on the patient and some other variables, mm -hmm. so that you do need to work with a physician when you're going on to higher doses of things. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that we, that we do add in here is that we do add in uh, ivermectin mm -hmm. at this point. Ivermectin has been, again, well studied uh, for post-exposure prophylaxis, for taking it after you've been exposed. Mm -hmm. and, and it does reduce the number of cases. It also reduces, again, the severity of the case. Mm -hmm. So we'll add in ivermectin at that time, and, and we've been using a lot of ivermectin because, of course, the, the you know, cases are, are surging again. And the people that are taking it for post-exposure prophylaxis, again, if they, if they get it, a lot of times they don't. So that's the, that's the great thing. A lot of times they won't even get it. We've had you know patients that have been uh, with somebody uh, that is uh, that got COVID. They were sleeping in the same bed with them. They were super close contact for hours at a time. But we put them on uh, the ivermectin right away, and they never got they never got the disease. Right. So it does help for prevention purposes. Uh, so that's again kind of going back to the prevention part. But then again, if you do get it, the severity doesn't appear to be nearly as severe mm -hmm. as those that don't take it. And that's something else that I've, I've seen real clearly here because, you know, this, the research tells us that it helps. Mm -hmm. But it, you really don't start to, to solidify your understanding of it until you're treating patients. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen patients that are started on ivermectin right away and they do well. Right. And then I have patients call me, you know, five or six days into the disease course mm -hmm. and they didn't take it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, man, I need some help. And so we put them on ivermectin then. I still think it helps then. Right. But it's not as powerful as starting it early on or even, again, after you've been exposed. Right. And so I've seen such a stark difference mm -hmm. uh, between those two categories. And it does seem, and this is just from, like, the, this is from the people I know. I'm not in there treating people every day. It does seem that even if you start taking it once you're sick, that it does seem to perhaps decrease the time mm -hmm. and 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 help to uh, reduce the severity of the symptoms, but not necessarily erase them. Right. Yeah. So no, it's been studied for again different different timing of the infection. It's been studied for prevention. It's been studied for post exposure prophylaxis. It's also been studied for treatment early and late mm -hmm. in the disease course. Right. So we know that it can be helpful, kind of any time uh, throughout the the treatment course. But it does appear, again, based on my clinical experience, it appears to work a lot better when you start it right away. Okay. So let's pretend that, um, okay, now someone is positive. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you would add in? Because I want to make sure we have a little bit of time to talk about ivermectin in particular, right. the polarization and the political, politi how do you say that? Politization. Pol whatever he said. Politization. I don't even, yeah. Yes, that word of kind of what seems to be perhaps going on right now with a lot of the conversations that right. we seem to be having. So talk to us first about um, if someone does begin to show symptoms, do you change anything else in that earlier protocol? Um, and Not not particularly. So okay. actually there's, there's, there's not much difference between post-exposure prophylaxis and treatment. Mm -hmm. So we do treat uh, with ivermectin. Uh, the duration may be a little bit different mm -hmm. depending on the severity of the symptoms and the dose may be slightly different Gotcha. because uh, the dosing guidelines from the uh, critical care doctors, the frontline doctors, they give you a range. Mm -hmm. And so generally we kind of start off on the lower end of that range, but if there's more severity or right. more symptoms, then maybe we'll bump up on that dose. 
and maybe we'll use it for a little bit longer. Those, sure. are, those are the main, main differences. And one thing I want to point out before we talk about what's kind of happening, it seems, is please do not go take horse medicine, okay? Right. Don't do that. That's good. Just point. a bad idea. Right. Just, yeah. I don't think we need to go into that, but just don't do that. Like, you need to be under the care of a physician. We'll talk about the limitations in that in a moment, but just yes. don't do that. Yeah, we, we have to say that, but it's but it's true. You need to have someone that knows what they're doing when, they're, when you're taking this and, and someone's prescribing it. Right. Okay. So, let's talk about, and, and I'll, I'll share first, but let's talk about what's going on. And I want Wiggy to talk a little bit about ivermectin and what we do know about it, and then we can talk about what's happening. So, um, well, so what we're hearing from, I don't know what, inside sources (laughs) (laughs) is that many of our hospital systems in our local area have restricted completely writing prescriptions for ivermectin. Wiggy's practice is... Like, people are literally tearing down the doors to try to get, you know I exaggerate, so, (laughs) to get ivermectin. And they cannot take on the new patient load that really is wanting to look at this situation in a different way um, and are having to do their best to treat established patients. To me, this is, like, if, if if this drug that we seems to be incredibly safe, is helping or even has the potential of helping but it's not hurting anyone why would we not be diagnosed why would we not be giving it out or writing prescriptions when we're testing people and they first test positive especially if they don't have symptoms or when they've been exposed and why are our physicians unable to write prescriptions that even want to the ones that want to that would that they are not allowed unable they risk their jobs when they try to help their patients and to me this is such a crime against humanity that these this is a drug that we know keeps people out of the hospital you can say there's not enough evidence or whatever well you know in in our observational ability and what we can observe just from what's happened at Wiggy's practice, it's working. And even it's keeping people out of the hospital, especially when they started on it early. So I think this is a time that we need to be asking questions as a society. Why is it that there is no treatment until I need to be hospitalized? And then I'm going to be put into the hospital. I'm going to be given these treatments that do not have as high of a success rate as some of the other things that we have different protocols, but the big hospital systems are saying, no, we have protocols and we're not going to do this, even though the success rate is significantly less. And I think it's one of those things that we just have to be asking why. If you want my guess and answer, it has to do with money. Where does the hospital make the most money? Who are they contracting with? What research studies are they getting money from, you know, to be able to implement these protocols? And it's always important that we are asking these questions when things don't make sense. And to me, this makes no sense. So I'll get off my soapbox and I'll let you talk about why and how it works and the studies that you've read. Well, the first thing I would like to clarify is the safety of ivermectin. So there have been some 
I'd say scare tactic articles that have come out that say that this is dangerous, it's not approved for human use, and it's going to hurt you if you take it. And that's just ridiculous. <laughs> this is a super safe uh, medication. This has been around uh, for 30, year, 30 years. It's FDA approved for other indications, primarily intestinal parasites. But we have lots and lots, probably hundreds if not thousands of safety studies on ivermectin mm -hmm. for human use, for internal consumption. This is very, very safe medication. There's been probably millions, if not billions of doses that have been given over these past 30 years. It's primarily used more in the you know, third world countries because they deal with a lot more parasites than we do. But again, there's been tons of doses given out over the past 30 years, and we know how extremely safe it is when you do it correctly. Mm -hmm. So, yes, are there potentially some toxicity for someone that took a super large dose of ivermectin that's been uh, concentrated for a horse? Mm -hmm. Probably. I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're doing this just ridiculously, if you're just doing this on your own and you have no idea what dose you should take and you're just loading up on it. Right. Let's just pause for a minute and look at the human body and our size and look at a horse. Right. Let's use our common sense. That's all. Go ahead. So, so that's, that's one thing I wanted to be clear is that anyone that says that this is not a safe medic medication, it's very safe, especially when prescribed by a physician that knows the appropriate dosing. And the dosing has been has been well established. Uh, you know, I'll just speak to to our experience in the practice from a safety but also effectiveness standpoint. I we I, we haven't run the numbers recently as far as how many prescriptions we've given out, but we've probably gone through two hundred prescriptions in the last week or so. Mm -hmm. So I would estimate we're we're beyond a thousand prescriptions at this point for uh, prevention or post exposure prophylaxis or for treatment. And we've had, we've had no side effects mm -hmm. uh, from this medication. Again, when dosed appropriately, we've had, we've had no problems with it. And we've seen, again, clinically about how effective it is. So it's, you know, it's tough to, you can't draw a, a large conclusion just from our practice. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we're looking at a thousand people that have been treated for this, virtually no side effects. And I believe, again, uh, looking at all of our patients, I don't think anyone that is that was started on uh, ivermectin early in the course. I don't think anybody went to the hospital. Uh, I th we did. We have a couple people that have been to the hospital, but they are the ones that generally didn't start on ivermectin right away. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that started on it later on, or they didn't take it at all. And then, of course, we can't really include them in that in that in that group. But those that took it early, they really seem to turn the corner uh, really pretty quick. And so we probably do need to run the numbers to get real accurate uh, data for how many people have been treated and how, how well they're doing. But I just know, again, personally, how well our patients are doing. And like I said, out of a out of a thousand people, maybe a couple hospitalizations, and I believe that those are people that weren't treated early on uh, in the course, and we have had no deaths. Mm -hmm. And so it's it is frustrating because now we're seeing that again, there's more and more evidence coming out for the use of ivermectin. You know, the most recent count, uh, there's anywhere in between 27 to 31 randomized controlled trials uh, for ivermectin. It's not all in, in the United States data, so we do have to look beyond the United States. We have to look around the world for other randomized controlled trials. 
But that is the highest level of evidence that there is. The highest level of evidence for any intervention is a randomized controlled trial. Mm -hmm. And we have, like I said, at least 27 good randomized controlled trials for ivermectin and its use in coronavirus. So there's a totality of evidence. We know on the basic science side that it helps. We know that it helps decrease viral replication. We know that it helps decrease infectivity. We know that it helps with prevention and post-exposure prophylaxis. And we know know that it helps with early treatment uh, based on the studies. And then we're also seeing that clinically Mm -hmm. that it helps. So I think it is. It's really a shame that more doctors aren't, aren't aren't using this because again the safety profile is is really high and the effectiveness is really high and so I, it's it is frustrating the other thing that i find even more infuriating is that you know we've been trying to write this for for a lot of our patients and we send it to the pharmacy and now the pharmacists aren't even filling it for us mm-hmm. they're saying nope there's you know we can't we can't we can't uh, give it out for covid right and so it's just been it's been really frustrating to, to have to deal with that. So let's take a look at that bigger picture. I mean, outside of what I mentioned earlier, how do you interpret what seems to be happening right now on the in the larger medical community? You know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's easy to become cynical mm-hmm. and to say this is all about all about the money or this is all about, you know, control. I, I don't I don't know. But I do find it curious that here's a treatment Mm -hmm. that is cheap Mm -hmm. it's easy to make Mm -hmm. it's really safe and it's effective yet it's being demonized and banned and banned and um, only negatively discussed among the medical community and among the the organizations that kind of make those decisions so you can draw your own conclusion on that, mm-hmm. but if you truly do your research, and I, I don't, I don't, you know, don't go to like just Google is ivermectin safe, and I say, oh, I found an article says that it's dangerous, so it must be dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, or Google is ivermectin, you know, effective, and you find one article that says that it's not, and then you make a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Look up the true data, mm-hmm. look at all the studies. And you'll find that it works. If right. you really do your research and not just do some sort of, you know, knee-jerk post that says, oh, this is so bad for you, mm-hmm. you, you just haven't, you just don't know what you're talking about. You haven't done your research. Well, and I think that's a really good just piece of advice in general is, and, and we're going to hopefully do a podcast on this in, in the future, how to read studies. Because mm-hmm. I know sometimes I struggle with that. And I give my phone to William, like, tell me what this means, because... Um, as I've told you all before and people think differently for some reason, I have gone to medical school for zero days. Um, <laughs> I care a lot about health and I understand a lot about how all of this works, but I didn't, I'm not medical. And so it's important that we are going to these sources and not looking at the Cliff's Notes version mm-hmm. or what our, our preferred news outlet headlines and picks and chooses what they share so let's be careful about that. And if you're interested in learning a little bit more of that from a layman like me, you can go and listen to my episode I did with Trisha Sheehan a while back about science versus scientism. And she actually did talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit. So um, but we, we'll talk, we'll dig in more of that. But it is quite important. And this goes for whatever side you might be on, on whatever issue. All right. 
that you do not just go to your preferred news outlet and start sharing and starting fights on social media because that does not get us anywhere. And yeah. it's certainly not going to help us become more unified. Have the discussion, sure, but really do your research and d- dig in and do your best to figure out what is actually happening. So any other lasting thoughts? Well, here's something I think we must mention. Because we are in this situation um, and fewer and fewer doctors are able, Mm -hmm. unless they are in private practice and there are so few anymore, to help people with getting these, you know, getting ivermectin in particular, the other supplements you can find many places. I would say don't go to Walmart or Target. Those are not quality supplements. Um, But... There is a place online you can go to America's Frontline Doctors if you do not have a doctor that is able to help you. That can and and they are able to help you in whatever state you're in as well. Generally, yeah. it might take a few days because they have a huge backlog. Yeah. But that's a place that we've been sending people that were unable to help because they they can help you there. Yeah, that's a good point because yeah, we can only do so much and and we're actually we're overwhelmed at the practice right now with just all these uh, new patient requests just just looking for someone to help. And so we have referred a lot of people to uh, America's Frontline Doctors. Uh, I think they're really brave uh, doing doing what they're doing, but I believe that they are following the science. They're following what really seems to help and so the protocols that they put together, I, I believe, are, are helping a lot of people. And I think that we have helped a lot of people too. You have, you know, I absolutely. Think we, I think we've saved lives. I think we've kept people out of the hospital. You know, and I think that it's it's a, a rewarding time uh, to be in medicine, but also a very challenging time mm-hmm. uh, right now. So I, I don't know. It's I think as far as what you can do, I'd say just try to educate yourself the best that you can, mm-hmm. because the more people that are at least talking about it, even if you even like you know if you do your research and you bring you know twenty seven research studies on the benefits of ivermectin to your doctor. They may at least glance at it, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, well, gosh, you know what? Maybe there is something, maybe there is something here. Right. You know, and so the more that we can educate, and I would even say educating physicians here, mm-hmm. uh, because unfortunately a lot of times physicians will just take what the um, organizations say or what their, you know, their supervisors say, mm-hmm. and they'll say, okay, this must be right. But or their hands are completely tied. True, or they're just which is also <clears throat> happening. Or their hands are completely tied. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So I think, but I think it's it's hard to deny the evidence uh, for ivermectin when someone really reviews it thoroughly. In in a lot of ways, when doctors will actually see all the evidence, then they actually are like, "Well, gosh, how can I not do this now?" Mm-hmm. And so we're having a lot of doctors that we're talking to. They're like. I have to help patients somehow. How right. can I how can I do this yep. in the situation that I'm in? Was, and we will tell you guys more about something Wiggy and I have been working on for the last couple of weeks soon. But it's it's really exciting that um, there are doctors, there are a lot of doctors that are very concerned with this entire climate and really do want to do something different to help. So that's really encouraging. And um, I was going to say one last thing before we close up, but now I've forgotten completely. Oh, so... What can you take away from this? If you're not already eating clean and doing and, and, and taking your supplements, now's the time to start. So go on to Health As It Ought To Be's website and get your supplements and get started on that and have a salad for dinner tonight. Like it's not that hard. You don't have to, you know, do Whole30. You don't have to do that. But 
little small improvements do add up and make a difference. So thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time always. We hope that you'll share this with your friends. And don't forget that you can always leave us a little voice message if there's a topic you would like us to dig into further. And we will look forward to catching up with you soon.